Judges chapter 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valour. He was the son of a prostitute. Gilead became the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons. When his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You will not inherit in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Outlaws joined up with Jephthah, and they went out with him. After a while, the children of Ammon made war against Israel. When the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah out of the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Didn't you hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Therefore we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight with the children of Ammon. You will be the head over the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight with the children of Ammon, and Yahweh delivers them before me, will I be your head? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Yahweh will be witness between us, surely we will do what you say. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and chief over them. Jephthah spoke all his words before Yahweh in Mizpah. Jephthah sent messages to the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What do you have to do with me that you have come to fight against my land? The king of the children of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when he came up from Egypt, from the Arnon even to the Jabbok and even to the Jordan, now therefore restore that territory again peaceably. Jephthah sent messages again to the king of the children of Ammon, and he said to him, Jephthah says, Israel didn't take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon, but when they came up from Egypt and Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom didn't listen. And in the same way, he sent to the king of Moab, but he refused, and so Israel stayed in Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came by the east side of the land of Moab, and they encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they didn't come within the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the king of Eshbon, and Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land to my place. But Sihon didn't trust Israel to pass through, but Sihon gathered all his people together and encamped in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Yahweh the God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the land of Israel, and they struck him. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. They possessed all the border of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok, even from the wilderness to the Jordan. So now Yahweh, the God of Israel, has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And should you possess them? Won't you possess that which Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? So whoever Yahweh, our God, has dispossessed from before us, that we will possess. Now are you anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Or did he ever fight against them? 
Israel lived in Heshbon and its towns, and in Aroa and its towns, and in all the cities that are along the side of the Arnon, for three hundred years. Why didn't you recover them within that time? Therefore I have not sinned against you, but you do war, you do wrong to war against me. May Yahweh the judge be judged today between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. However, the king of the children of Ammon didn't listen to the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. Then Yahweh's spirit came on Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over to the children of Ammon. Jephthah vowed a vow to Yahweh, and he said, If you will indeed deliver the children of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, it shall be Yahweh's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over to the children of Ammon to fight against them, and Yahweh delivered them into his hand. He struck them from Aroa until you come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and to Abel Keramin with a very great slaughter. So the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Jephthah came to Mizpah to his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dancers. She was his only child. Besides, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are one of those who trouble me. For I have opened my mouth to Yahweh, and I cannot go back. She said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to Yahweh. Do to me according to that which proceeded out of your mouth, because Yahweh has taken vengeance for you on your enemies, even on the children of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months, that I may depart and go on the mountains, and bewail my virginity, I and my companions. He said, Go. He sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and mourned her virginity on the mountains. At the end of two months she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed. She was a virgin. It became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to celebrate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. This is a, an interesting chapter. And um, first of all, we've got the last chapter, which was Abimelech. He was the son of a concubine who tried to rule Israel. This chapter, we've got Jephthah, which is the eighth judge. And he didn't want to rule. He wasn't trying to be the ruler. In fact, his family kicked him out. <laughs> but when they got into trouble, they needed him. And apparently, he was quite a, a, a warrior. And so they called him back. So we've got these two men who were both of, um, you know, questioned heritage, and uh, but their attitudes were different. Abimelech's attitude was one of self-promotion, and it brought him low. Jephthah's was, was one where he, whatever he said to the Lord, he would do it. He was a man of honor. And uh, as we see with the, with the story about his daughter at the end of the chapter. And, um, but what happens is, at the end of the last chapter, it was describing how the Ammonites and the Philistines both began to oppress Israel. The Ammonites in the east, which is where Jephthah is, and the Philistines in, in the west, which is where Samson is, but we'll get to Samson in another two chapters. And so um, we end up with this, uh, 
whole story of Jephthah becoming the leader of Gilead and leaving to go and fight the Ammonites. And it begins with diplomatic, you know, d diplomacy. And he, he basically says to Ammon, why are you starting this fight now? And um, Ammon says, or basically, why are you starting this fight? And Ammon says, well, this is our land that you took from us. And they're referring to something that happened like 300 years before. And, um, but if you're, if you're well-versed in your Bible, and if you've been journeying with me as we've gone through the Bible, you will actually know that they didn't take the land off Ammon. What actually happened was that when they got to that part of the world, they were coming from Egypt, and when they got, first of all, it was Edom. So Edom is the descendant of Esau. When they got to that part of the world, the Lord said to them, "Don't. this is not your land. He said, I've given it to the descendants of Esau. You are not to inherit this land. And the same thing with Moab and Ammon. Moab, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they were descendants of Lot. Remember way back in Genesis 22, 23, when we were discussing Lot and Lot's sons and Lot's, Lot's daughters um, got pregnant from their father in a crazy story and had these two children, Ben-Ami, the father of the, Mo the Ammonites, and Moab, the father of the Moabites. So these two nations live in this part of the world along with the Edomites. And the Lord said to them that, he wasn't, that, that they weren't to attack these people. But what happened was that these people, not the Edomites, but the Moabites and the Ammonites, they did attack them because they didn't trust their messages the Israelites just wanted to pass through, and they said to these nations, we just want to pass through, give us safe passage, but they didn't trust them, and so they attacked, and the result was that those nations were destroyed, and so this whole eastern side of the Jordan River, which was previously the land of the Amorites and the Ammonites, and some of it was the land of the Moabites, the Israelites conquer, conquered and lived in huge big chunks of this land, and now they're saying, you took our land. <laughs> um, well. That was never ever the goal. And Jephthah says, well no, this was not originally what we were doing. You attacked us and you lost. So that's how it became our land. And then he adds, why are you waiting 300 years to complain about it now? Couldn't, why didn't you do something about it before? And um, so these are all great points. And that comment that Jephthah made about it's been 300 years, that's um, a really, really helpful verse as far as the whole chronology of the dating of Israel goes. When people try to work out the dating of things like when did the Exodus happen, they start from Solomon's temple, which they know absolutely when Solomon's temple was dedicated and they work backwards. But when you get to the book of Judges, it's very, very hard to work out some of these things. And I was talking about it in the last chapter about the dating of the book of Judges, how it seems to be like seems to take more than 400 years, but it really only takes 350. But here we find Jephthah, who's one of the last judges, and he's actually saying, he's actually saying that it's been 300 years. And the whole book of Judges is around about 350 years. So it's not an exact figure, but the, this verse is really, really helpful with working out Bible chronology. And it also helps to firm up the idea that the Exodus happened earlier and not later. A lot of people think Exodus happened with Ramses, in the 1200s, well, if that was true, they would have only been in the land for like 50 years by the time this story was happening, which doesn't leave enough room for everyone like Ehud and, and Eglon and, and all these other things that have happened. There'd be no time for any of them to have happened if the Exodus happened in the 1200s with Ramses. But no, we the Exodus happened much earlier. 
probably with Tutmosi III in the 1400s. So anyway, that's a really, really helpful um, comment that Jephthah makes there. So then, this, this, this chapter ends with the weirdest thing, and this just has to be explained. <laughs> uh, because Jephthah basically goes to battle and he trusts the Lord so wholeheartedly and he says to the Lord, whatever comes out the door of my house to greet me, I'll give to you, it'll be yours, I'll offer it as a burnt offering. And um, you'd have to say to yourself, like if you were, you or me living in this modern period, you would say, what a daft thing to say because you know what's gonna come out the door of your house? It's only gonna be a person, right? Surely. Well, that, that's what we think. But back in ancient times where there were, it was all very agricultural, the amount of animals, cattle, and um, maybe not cattle so much, but certainly sheep and goats and things, he's just basically thinking, the first animal I meet when I get back, I'm gonna give it to you, Lord. <laughs> but the first thing he meets is actually his daughter. And it's the biggest tragedy of all. And um, except it's not as big a tragedy as you think, because I'm about to explain what really ended up happening here. And, um, and it's, it's a little bit contentious and, and not everyone really agrees, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> but um, what happens is uh, when he gets back to his house, of course, his daughter comes out to greet him and he says, he says, alas, my daughter, he says, I have given my word to Yahweh and I cannot take it back. And you know what? There's something really, really admirable about a person that does the things they say they're going to do, especially when they say it to the Lord. In the New Testament, now, of course, further on in the Old, previously in the Old Testament, we were told that if you made a vow, it was binding. That's what the Lord said. But if you didn't make a vow, it wasn't binding. So the lesson is, of course, if you do make a vow to the Lord, you have to keep it. And Jephthah knows that, and he does. But later on in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be no. He says, don't make vows or take oaths. Anything like that comes from the evil one. And this is what we tend to do as people. We tend to, to say, you know, I promise I'm going to do this. And we try to lock ourselves in with our own words, but we find that when we do that, we're powerless to keep them. It's like an extra form of legalism which we add onto our life, which becomes bondage to us, and it completely robs us of the ability to just serve God. Jephthah is a remarkable example of someone that did what he said, but there's very few people like that. For us, it's better to say, you know, my heart is that I so want to serve the Lord and say, Lord, help me to do that. So what we're saying is not, uh, I'm going to serve the Lord perfectly. <laughs> Say, Lord, my desire is to serve you. So what we're saying is we're giving the Lord love and intentions and we're asking for his help. And, um, and that's completely true and factual and rather than locking ourselves into an additional form of legalism. So when he comes home, of course, and his daughter comes out and he's promised that whatever comes out of his house, he's going to give to the Lord as a burnt offering he, um, what's, what he's greeted with is his firstborn. Now this is where all the scholars have one of two opinions, it seems. There may be more than two, but it seems like there's two opinions. Number one is the one you would automatically think that he just offered her as a burnt offering. But there's something really weird about the actions of the young lady, if that's true. 
she goes off for two months to mourn her virginity. And you would say, why would you do that if you're just going to be killed as a burnt offering? That doesn't make sense. It's a very strange thing to do. Why do you care about your virginity if you're going to die? But you would care a lot about your virginity if you were going to live and never get married. And that's the other theory. And so what we've got is this whole thing of, that we've talked about earlier in the book of Leviticus and Numbers called the redeeming of the firstborn. This girl was not a firstborn male, but she was a firstborn. And the idea that the firstborn belonged to God, but you had to redeem them with a sacrifice. And so um, what the other theory is that was that Jephthah redeemed his daughter, who was firstborn, with a sacrifice so that he didn't have to kill her but then he sent her to the temple in Shiloh and she served the Lord her whole entire life as a woman of the temple. Now there were, these, there were actually women who would serve the Lord kind of like a nun, I suppose, would be a modern equivalent. They would serve the Lord in a, the status of being single forever, but serving in the temple. And what they would do there was worship. And we meet people like this in the Bible. Like, for example, when Jesus goes to the temple as a little baby brought by his parents, there's a woman there called Anna. And uh, she's like a prophetess. But she lives in the temple as a single woman her entire life. And there is another one called Huldah. There's, there's a number of them that are through the Bible. And these are women who at some point in their life were dedicated to God. And they've served God as a single woman, they don't get married, they never have children, their life is given over to service. So this is the other theory, is that when Jephthah has come home and realized that it's, a, it's his daughter, he's redeemed her life by, by an animal sacrifice, but then she is now dedicated to the Lord to serve the Lord all her days in the temple. And that's why she says to, Je to Jephthah that I will do as you say, but first, let me go and mourn my virginity for two months. What she's mourning is that she's sad about the fact that she's never going to get to marry and have children. And Jephthah is never going to have an, an inheritance. He doesn't have any sons. And now, through his daughter, there's going to be no inheritance. It's the end of his family line. Jephthah effectively gives to God everything because he has no inheritance to pass on to his own family. He has nothing left for himself, no posterity, no legacy. Except Jephthah gets included in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. So he may have thought that he had no legacy, but the legacy of Jephthah lives on today in that there are millions and millions of Christians who read, it, read about him and we are encouraged by his faith and his service and his devotion to God. And we should also be encouraged by his daughter as well because there was a feast. It says that the, the daughters of Israel would every year for four days have this feast to remember the daughter of Jephthah. Now here's a woman that's given her entire life to serve God as a single woman, so faithful, becoming a worshiper and a prayerful person. Well, that's something worth remembering and honoring. And I think this whole story of Judges 11 is really, really a story that's written high. In fact, Jephthah might be one of the great judges. Uh, you know, he's not one of the more well-known judges, we always think of Samson, who's a terrible judge, <laughs> and Gideon, who's great and terrible all at the same time. We think of Deborah, and now she's a great judge, but she may even be the greatest of all the judges, but Jephthah is a great judge. And the whole story about him offering his daughter to God, um, I think 
in the last 50 years, it seems more and more people who really know their Bible and think about this properly have concluded that that probably is what happened. And um, one of the, the things that, one of the questions that does sometimes get asked is, why would Jephthah be considered a hero in God's eyes if he had, if he had sacrificed his own daughter? Because one of the things that God hated was how the Canaanites used to sacrifice their own children. God hated it and he wanted it removed from the land. So Jephthah would have known that God hated that. So he does the next, he does what he, he honors his sacrifice, his vow to God completely, but he does it in the way he is able to do it because it's his daughter. So he's an honorable man and his daughter is an honorable woman. And we can learn a lot of lessons from them in the way that we serve the Lord and, and we lift the Lord up so highly in our hearts. So Father, I pray that we would have the grace that was on Jephthah and we would really have the grace that was on his daughter. Lord, I thank you that there's people like them that have so served their lives, served you with their lives and followed you. And I ask that we'd be given these graces in the name of Jesus. Amen.